freezing wind and snow of the Alps. During the coldest months of the year, history's most audacious general led his soldiers and elephants over the mountains. The trembling Romans were to remember his name for hundreds of years afterward, as the humiliation and defeat that he brought right to their doorstep haunted them for generations. His name was Hannibal, the most famous son of a civilization lost to the ages, the great empire of Carthage. It is time for another episode of Blind History. This is season six and episode six, and we're talking about somebody who has been in the wings for a little while now. He's someone who Ant and I are both really interested in because he comes from a period of history which just seems to have been so glorious. Like the the risks and rewards were so big, and everything these people did was on such a monumental scale. And this guy, without putting too fine a point on it, was an enormous character in the time. He was born around 247 BC, died in about 183 to 181 BC. And he came from a place called Carthage, which is in the far north of Africa, the northernmost part of Africa, where Tunisia is today. And it's very hard for us to try and get any kind of feel for what the Carthaginians were because they were completely wiped out by the Romans much, much later. And in the prelude to that, you encounter the story of this great general Hannibal. And that is what we're talking about today. So Anthony Meter and I here to tell you all about Hannibal, the great Carthaginian general and statesman. And arguably one of the greatest generals uh, of all time. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things that kept coming up in the, the three books that I read was that this guy was a master tactician and his battles are still to this day regarded as textbook battles, textbook mm. ambushes. Every strategic and tactical move that he made was a masterpiece. At the time, Rome called them dirty tactics and then Rome started employing them themselves. And, <laughs> uh, you know, it's phenomenal. You know, if you look at his whole life and a, a lot of people look at uh, the beginning part of his life, and especially as he crossed the Alps, that's what he's so famous for. But once he was left Carthage, and it was just very sad what happened to him because he's extremely loyal, his life after that was incredible too. You know, it's, mm -hmm. he just never stopped shocking everybody with his with what he could achieve and and biological he's also credited, warfare. You know, it's, yeah, he, exactly. He's credited. I'm so glad you brought that up too because he was credited with being the first person to ever employ biological warfare and we'll talk correct. about that later because it comes yeah. towards the end of his story but this guy was born to an aristocratic family in carthage and carthage was a very powerful mercantile state now if you can imagine most of the north african coastline which was then quite a fertile and busy place it wasn't mostly deserts and you know run down and most of the iberian peninsula which is where spain certainly southern and Eastern Spain are, was all in the empire of Carthage at its height. And his father was a guy called Hamilcar, who fought in the first Punic War. There were three of those. His younger brothers were called Mago and Hasdrubal, and he had both of them by his side through all of the wars. And his brother-in-law was the guy who took over after his father was killed in battle. And his name was also Hasdrubal, 
great names. Huh? Hasdrubal the Fair. Yeah. So he was he was the good looking Hasdrubal. Yeah, he was the good. Yeah, hundred percent. He was the good looking. And, and <laughs> but Carthage was the center of the known world, as they called it then. And I think the point that you made is they were with Phoenician background. They were traders. So first and foremost, no, they were not warriors, but traders. They were not conquerors, but they were traders. But his dad and Hannibal were just unusual, you know, such strong generals. The family was just so strong. And, and that's where they managed to do the incredible things they did. And if he did decide to go for Rome, the world might have changed. There might not have been a Roman empire. That's how, yeah. how close the whole world could have been to changing because of this one individual. So his father, Hamilcar, took him apparently before he went at nine years old. I mean, imagine being nine and going with your father to battle. He took him to a temple and made him swore a, a lifetime oath of hatred to Rome and that he would eventually destroy Rome because Rome had won the first Punic War under Hamilcar and they had really imposed some very unfair penalties on the Carthaginians. You know, huge taxes, they had massive war debts they had to repay. And so, Carthage was not particularly thrilled with Rome at this time. And they went and took them on in the Iberian Peninsula. And the Romans made friends with people in a place called Saguntum. And uh, Hannibal managed to attack that place in 218 BC. And he taught the Romans a lesson because he burnt it to the ground and inflicted huge losses on the people of that area. But what he started to do was he also started to win them over because he was quite charming and charismatic. And he realized you know, supply lines from Carthage into Europe would take a very long time. So he started making friends with all the people the Romans had pissed off. And slowly they started to turn their allegiance to Hannibal. And that was where he made this famous move where he decided he's going to go for Italy. He's going to go for the, the eye of the, of the dragon. And he, instead of doing what they thought he would do, and the Romans had prepared to meet him along the southern coast of France, you know, and easy block entry. That entrance, they yeah. blocked that entrance. And instead of doing that in the middle of winter, in the worst possible conditions, and if you've ever been to the Alps, let me tell you, in the middle of winter, when it's snowing and there's ice and it's freezing cold and people are dying from frostbite and animals are dying. And remember, he went over the Alps with elephants Great. and horses and 40,000 men. I mean, this was a brave move. Everybody thought 100%. he was going to die, including probably most of his own people. But they made it through. They came out on the other side of the Alps at the Po Valley, and they were ready for the Romans. It was a traumatic journey going through the Alps, massive heights, freezing cold, elephants falling off cliffs. You know, And imagine this is 2,000-odd years ago, 2,200 yeah. years ago. You cannot imagine. And a lot of historians have tried to, to track where he went uh, in modern days to try and understand you know, how he did this. And every time that they do this, they get blown away and how he managed to do that. And and he shocked the Romans for that matter. Well, they'd never even seen elephants for a start. I mean, they certainly didn't expect elephants in Italy. You can Correct. imagine. That. No chance of that before. And then he, he won these succession of victories. And we're going to stop at whichever one you want to stop at. But the Battle of the Trebia was a brilliant move. It was shortly after they'd come down from the Alps, and he realized he needed to win fast. But the losses that the Romans took in these three battles, Trebia, Lake Trasimene, and obviously Cannae, which is probably the greatest battle he ever fought, all of them, like the whole way down Italy, basically, the Romans must have lost oh, 20% of their population, 
Certainly, 80% of their men died in the Battle of Cannae. It was a slaughterhouse. Yeah. Um, apparently, his brother, Mago, eventually, when he went back to Carthage to show the Carthaginians how great their victory was, he emptied out a jar of signet rings onto the floor of their senate. And each of those signet rings represented one of the noble families who'd gone to war against Hannibal and been killed. So he was absolutely incredible. Yeah, one in five of the young and up-and-coming members of the army, the Roman army, were killed. It was an absolute slaughter. But at that point, he had Rome at his feet. And he could have marched on Rome. But the difference between uh, Hannibal and Alexander the Great is that he was extremely um, loyal to the people back at Carthage, which didn't des- they didn't deserve it. And they didn't show him any support, you know, for him to do the final step. And he decided uh, not to do that. And there's so many questions still asked on why he didn't actually flatten Rome ultimately mm. in the end after, after Canaan, because he was really, really on top of his game. And in that battle, he made the Romans stare into the sun. Uh, it was a dusty terrain. So they, I mean, just first of all, they had so much challenges even before they started fighting. But it's worth saying that the Romans had about 80,000 men there, and he had maybe half that. And what was so clever about it was that he knew that they were going to deploy very, very tight formations. And he would deploy his men in a much more spread out fashion. And he put his strongest men on the wings and his weakest ones in the middle. And the Romans attacked the middle, thinking that was where his forces were concentrated. And what happened was that the wings steadily started to creep around the sides of this very tightly packed Roman force. Apparently, they were so tightly packed, they couldn't even swing a sword in the middle. People were being crushed, like at a rock concert. And he managed to envelop them, and then sent in people from the back. So they were surrounded on all four sides, and they were Mm. just cut down. There were 70,000 depending on who, which book you read, 55,000 to 70,000 Romans. Dead. Most of the books in that time, it was I think it was Livy. They were all obviously pro-Roman. They were Romans. They were so scared of Hannibal. You know, they used to have jokes 300 years after Hannibal's time. They used to say, Hannibal's at the gates. Hannibal's at the mm-hmm. gates. And the kids used to run away. They always used to play, you know, those games. <laughs> now, listen, he, he was extraordinary. And this was probably the height of his power. And the Battle of Cannae is in any military book of strategy regarded as the, the, the magnum opus of battle tactics. Anyway, he, he then, after lingering a little bit and again not deciding to attack Rome, he suddenly realized that Carthage itself was under attack by a guy called Scipio Africanus, who forced him to return to Carthage. And that was essentially the beginning of what they called the Third Punic War. And this was probably when things started to go not so well for him because he was defeated at the Battle of Zama, which ended the war in a Roman victory. And the Romans were merciless after that. They absolutely raised the place to the ground. They made it pretty much impossible for people to live there. They famously poisoned the wells. It was awful. They chased Hannibal into voluntary exile, even though he'd taken political office and had tried his best to restore Carthage to something. It was a mess. It was an absolute disaster. And Rome just were merciless. Just to paint a little picture or to just explain on Scipio Africanus. So his dad fought Hannibal. First of all, his dad blocked Hannibal um, to cross from Spain into Italy. And then further on, as he came down into the Po Valley, he was the first person that they met and he was severely injured. 
by Hannibal's um, onslaught. But what happened was Scipio spent, I mean, Hannibal was on the Italian peninsula for 15 years and Scipio went to school and he learned everything about Hannibal and how his tactics worked and how to use them. And, and effectively, he did use them at Zama against him. Hannibal went back to support his country that he loved so much. And Scipio used a lot of his tactics. He used elephants. Hmm. He wasn't at his greatest strength, it has to be said, because he had a his army was decimated. They got weaker and weaker on the Italian peninsula, and he was on the back foot. But Scipio was formidable. But as much as Scipio hated him, he admired him. Well, didn't Hannibal also, by this stage, he'd lost an eye? He'd lost an eye in the Po Valley from infection, correct, already quite early on in his battles. So Zama was, was very sad, and they were very harsh, the Romans. But Scipio, whatever the Roman, the, the Roman Senate wanted to do, because they hunted him until he died, he actually pushed back. And he, he in the end, went into exile, Scipio Africanus, uh, hmm. because he just did not agree with what the Roman Senate wanted to do. But effectively, the oath that he made to his dad and they, the sacrifice that they made ran so deep in his veins that he could never give up trying to, to win one over the Romans. But he went into politics at the time after the defeat at Zama. Mm-hmm. And, and then once again, as you mentioned, in the first Punic War, the second Punic War it was horrendous the amount of money they had to pay. But he turned that country around. He took out a lot of the, the oligarchs and the type of people that would stay there forever and corruption. And mm-hmm. he started putting in good processes. He uplifted the farms. And he could pay that debt back in two to five years. And the Romans refused to, to receive lump sums. Plus, they were working together with the old leadership, those corrupt individuals in Carthage. And then they mm-hmm. ultimately, in the end, they expelled him. Yeah, and that's, I mean, you can imagine how frustrated he was at that point because he'd given his life militarily and now politically to try and fix Carthage. And then he gets exiled and he ran off to first, I think he was somewhere in Turkey. Correct, yes. Greece and Turkey, Antiochus, yeah. And he was at the court of the Seleucids, Antiochus the Third, And then he yes. ended up in Bithynia, which is like northern Turkey, near where Constantinople, you know, meets with the European continent. And I think that's where he died, but he died on his own terms because apparently he knew that they were coming to get him. And he decided, you're not going to get me. I'm not going to die at the hands of Romans. I will poison myself. And he took some poison and he died. But that's 25 years since he'd left Carthage. So he evaded evaded the Romans for that long. And he also hurt them. But a lot of the the leaders, like you said, Antiochus III and that, they they were very, very scared of Rome. So they wanted to defeat them. But when the pressure and the heat got on, they knew. Every single yeah. time the Romans said, we want Hannibal. So Antiochus then was scared that uh, Hannibal would have too much power. So he put him on ships and he's never been a Navy man. He spent his whole life fighting, you know, on land. But that's where he brought in the biological warfare with the snakes. So what did he do? So he had baskets of venomous snakes that he put together. And so then they wanted to engage the Navy, you know, boat on boat, as they did in those yeah. days. So they tossed the baskets full of venomous snakes onto the deck of the Roman boats. So now you must imagine these strong forces just jumped in the water because they had been bitten by the snakes. 
<laughs> so yes, and they say that's the start of biological warfare. You know, it's amazing. Um, and then he had to run away again because when the Romans won, um, they said we want him. And he ended up on an outlaw island of Crete where it was just surrounded by outlaws and there was nobody's going to turn him in. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like a pirate like, <laughs> island at the time. And it's incredible. And yes, um, he did take his life. He might have died of infection or take his life. But the thing was that he said, I think that Rome, in his words, he said, Rome will be so happy now that this this old man is going to stop tormenting, tormenting them. Well, we spoke at the very beginning of this episode about what a great general he was, and he's compared with people like Philip of Macedon, Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, Scipio Africanus, his enemy, and Pyrrhus. But I think, like I said in the beginning, Gareth, the big difference was Alexander didn't give a shit about anything happening back in Macedonia. You know, he no. just took over the world, and it has to be said, he crossed deserts. Um, what he achieved was just phenomenal. But on the same breath, if he wasn't so loyal to Carthage, you know, what would he have done? You know, would it yeah, have been it the was, Carthage it, Empire? Maybe if it was more about his personal glory, you know, there would have been a, a state of Hannibal instead of a state of Rome. And he could exactly. have been the first emperor of that empire. But it is interesting yeah. how all these different characters overlap in history. And you said it too, that if he had decided to sack Rome, if he decided to burn Rome to the ground like they eventually did Carthage, there wouldn't have been a Roman Empire, probably. And the world would have been dominated for all that time by a very strong Carthaginian Empire. And things could Mm. have been very, very different. Yeah, and I think the great Augustus, he actually said, you know, in terms of the administration parts, there were certain Mm. parts of the administration that he, he didn't model because Augustus was his own man, but but there were certain parts that he took from Hannibal in the way he ran politics after the Second Punic War. So it's, it is, the overlapping is incredible. Well, I think that his own tactics and strategy played a huge role in helping the Roman army become a professional army. And I think that the influence of Hannibal and history is only diminished by the fact that Rome was so afraid of him and so, you know, completely overwhelmed by this incredible character who gave them their first existential threat and probably the last existential threat until the collapse of the empire and they've kind of tried to write him out of history but it shows you how strong this character was that he still remains in the history books and remains this overwhelmingly powerful specter though rome were terrified of him very blind history is brought to you by taylor blinds and shutters All the episodes are available on the cliffcentral.com website and app, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Apparently, Scipio asked Hannibal who the greatest general of all time was, and Hannibal replied, either Alexander or Pyrrhus, but then himself. So, And he said that. He knew he was good.